What's up, family? Peace, my brother. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. I can't see your face. Are you there? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, right. boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's going on? Is this, is that cool? It, it doesn't bother me. I'm good. Like, as long as I can focus in on you. All right. You want me to turn this light the other way? Yeah, you turning it the other way might be good. You look hot. Or, or should I turn it this way? Should I turn it this way? It don't matter. Like, I'm good as long as I can see you. Woo! That's more of a glare right there. To keep, how about push it out through? There you go. All right, so then, is that still still a glare? Yeah, yeah, it's blazing. There we go. All right, cool. That's low low light, low frequency. Let me. Yeah, let me, you, yeah. You you look like you you like you ran a marathon. Man, I'm just naturally oily. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I see it. You got yeah. the shine. You got the Mr. Clean going. Yes, sir. Squeak, 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 squeak. Man, so what's up? What's the uh, what's the artwork you got back there in, in your in your space? That looked dope. That um, one. so I'm not sure of the artists that actually did that, but from what I heard recently, there's like two to three more pieces that I don't have of that. There's like a whole a whole segmented piece of it, and I don't have them all. And then over here is of course um, Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. You know what I mean? So. Um, but I always have to have representation of, of duality, you know, man and woman. So I understand. Around my I understand. Place, yeah, around up around my place, there'll be different ones. You know, there'd be a woman here, a man there. Yeah. See, I got women behind me. I got women. I behind see. Me. I see. <laughs> Some we're all familiar with. <laughs> you need that. You need that. So how was your day? Good, man. I mean, you know. Uh, the, there's there's certain people who uh, really put a lot of energy into dragging a brother down, Ooh. you know, Ooh. and uh, and when it doesn't work, you know, they 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 step it up and target the people in your orbit. But you know, like I just I think that it's been a good day, man. I uh, heard about the brother that got shot by the police seven times. Yeah, and you know. I started my day with that. I started, actually, I went to sleep last night. Actually, that was the last thing I saw before I went to sleep. And I saw it, I watched that video like 12, 13, 14 times, bro. And, I, and I'm flabbergasted, you know, at how without hearing anything, without having any context, I already know how the outcome's going to be. You know, and that's going to be nothing. The cops who shot him, they, they were afraid for their life. And he was whatever, whatever he was. And, yeah. and, and no consequences, you know. And the situation that we're all too familiar with. Yeah. For those who are listening, I, I, I want you to have, have an understanding that if you just do the last several years, maybe seven, you'll find out that the murder rate of, police killing black men and women 
in cold blood, it's around like four to 500 people. That's more than certain countries have a year. Yeah, I mean, most countries, like, especially when you travel to, like, Europe and, like, like some places in Africa, some of the island nations, like, man, they... This they, might answer your question. Uh -oh. I know about 54 countries in Africa, including South Africa, Nigeria, Egypt, oh, Mauritius, so and 50 more. So, Alexa, tell me how many people die from gunshot wounds in the country of Spain. Here's something I found on the web. According to medscape.com, according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, more than 36,000 people died of gunshot wounds in 2015. By the way, I can learn your voice to improve your Alexa experience. Would you like to try it? Hell no, because I feel like you're tracking me. I'm going to turn you off. Good night. It's always tracking. All it's right. Always tracking. So 36,000 people died in 2015 in Spain? That don't sound right. That don't sound like gunshots, though. I think we would have heard about that. That's more than, you know, what Chicago was doing in that one year when it was up to, like, yeah. a thousand. Like. And that was, like, the worst place on Earth, yeah. for real, bro. Yeah, so um, she does. No. Details aren't, aren't, aren't the best when it comes to that. But uh, we do know it's a problem. That in itself is what you want to call a pandemic or an epidemic. Hey, it's been that way since the inception of police, right? Since mm -hmm. they were called marshals and they would marshal the land and make sure that slaves were in the places that they were supposed to be, right? And if you right. weren't, whether you ran away or whether you were being disobedient or whatever you called it, you know, you were hung, beaten, maimed, all, all types of things would, would happen to you. The women would be raped, the men would be raped, the kids would be raped. So. This has been going on for, for generation after generation, hundreds of years after hundreds of years, and it hasn't stopped even up until today. And people look at these things and they see it, and they always look at us and go, well, what did we do wrong? Even after we've been shot, what did you do wrong? Well, check it out. So so, uh, so uh, George Floyd, right, he was on methamphetamines when he died, right? What does that have to do with this man being murdered by the police? You know what I'm saying? We all watched it on video. Yeah. We, you know, we, we saw what happened. Like, him being on drugs had nothing to do with him being murdered. Okay, him being arrested, okay, probably. But it's like, but that's always... Person, even if they are on drugs. There are ways to talk people a, down. There's there always a deal with people. Of guilt, right? Like, it's always guilt. Like, guilty before innocence when it comes to that. There's an assumption so, so I did a, I did a, a community impact engagement piece called Black Box, right? I did it just a few weeks ago at the Contemporary Art Center here in Cincinnati. Okay. And, and you know, the, the premise was based on the fact that, you know, before we ever talk about race and before we ever learn about race, you know, as young people, we learn about color, right? And... Think about the things that you learn during your enculturation as an American citizen, right? When you hear about black ice, all right, you learn about the black sheep or you being black listed or black bald or black magic or black, death, you know, like black swan, you name it. You know what I mean? You name it. Oh, so, so what happens is the first time you meet a black person, all of those negative connotations are projected and carry over to Absolutely. that person. 
And that's when that's the impetus of like the, the racism in contemporary uh, America. Right. So like when so when a cop is showing up, imagine like if we're disproportionately arrested and in prison as a people. Right. We're 14 percent of the population. But, you know, how, I don't know how many 40 something percent incarceration population. If the police in their job routinely see black people in criminal situations, they can only see us as criminals. Correct. It's going to it's going to be extremely difficult for them to not see us as being guilty parties. So when they roll up to a spot where dudes breaking up a fight between two Karens, you know what I'm saying? And he's like, and, 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 and he gets shot in front of his kids mm -hmm. when he was doing the right thing. I just, I just think that that's problematic, right? Like when people see us, they project onto us what they've learned and not necessarily what they know based on experience, but they accept And that projection is also not just like what you were saying, black this, black that. It's always been media, right? The portrayal of black people throughout different types of media. And it's happened right. over and over again, it's constantly. Even when we get down to music and entertainment, uh, what we see on TV, right? We know there are specific messages that are being sent, right? It's televised, television, I'm showing you what mm -hmm. I want you to see, what I think you should, what you should think. I'm showing you what I think you should see. And when they show these images, these are the perceptions that people pick up and they think that we are every, in everyday life. You know, right. I grew up in a house where I was raised by my mom, my aunt, and my, uh, my uh, older sister. And they didn't act like that. These portrayals that they put in the media, like they didn't act like that. You know, right. they say, whatever you do, you are a representation of us when you leave this house. Make sure you represent us correctly. So yeah. a lot of these representations are very false. And those narratives, when these police officers show up to a scene, they haven't, they don't, they haven't been around black people more than likely. Um, and they're going by everything that they've already been told. And so, on top of that, the other part of that is they're showing up in areas where they're not used to aggressive people, a disproportionate group of people who are used to dealing with things in aggressive manners. Not necessarily yeah. that they're going to react and do physical harm, but they're used to acting out with emotion and it's very, it can be vulgar sometimes and it can come across the wrong way. What you looking at? Fuck is you looking at? You know, things like that. Right. If you're not used to that. A police officer doesn't know how to engage that and tone and bring it down. He's not even, t a lot of them aren't even told how to, how to calm these yeah, people. Yeah, they're not taught how to de-escalate. We was just no. talking about that, man. No. Now, I, I think on top of like what all that, that they learn, they are in a very unique position where the only versions of us they see are the bad ones. So that's right. so fortunately for us, that's the only version that they can see when they come across a brother like me or a brother like you, yes. you know? And so, so I mean, I, I, I get that and I agree with you. I don't think that black people in this country are in control of their narrative, you know, be so, so the, and here's, here's why, right? So I have, I have two, I have two points and I'm, I'm gonna try and take, not take a long winded approach, right? But every ethnic group in this country has uh, a stereotype attached to them, right? Or multiple stereotypes. But the difference is they also 
have the opportunity to tell their own stories through their own telecommunications hub. So uh, Arabs who might be, you know, their women are oppressed and they might be terrorists, right? Well, you know, they have Al Jazeera and they have other outlets and they can tell their story in a full spectrum. So they see themselves as a whole people, not just a terrorist or oppressed woman. Uh, Mexicans or, or Latinx people have Telemundo and other outlets and they're not just border jumpers or or illegal immigrants or wetbacks or whatever the robbers and thieves and right 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 the rapists right right they see themselves in a full spectrum and so they although there may be some truth to that stereotype still are able to it's differentiate yeah right but black people we don't own anything right we're consumers we don't we don't own anything as a community we don't have a collective wealth because our culture is being used against us to encourage us to spend our collective wealth, to encourage division, to encourage marginalizing each other, disrespecting Which keeps women. us from being a community. So, yes. we, so then we just have yes. the neighborhoods and, and the community. Come and, unity with me, right? And, and, they starts, on that. and it starts from when you're a kid, those messages, those prompts those images, you know, you see a financially naive young person make it big saying he make more money than this teacher. And, you know, he out here, this is how he did it. And you think that's the blueprint as a young boy, you go out, you do it. And what happens is you wind up contributing to someone else's wealth. You either become a part of the prison industrial complex, which is making a whole bunch of people rich that don't look like us, or or you going into substance abuse treatment with medication assistant treatment yeah. and therapy and all of that stuff, and you're making somebody wealthy. And it's, none of those people look like us, right? Other so, option is death, right? Right, right. And when, so, death, and death, when death is an option, you get taken away from your family and you no longer become a provider. Right, and, and, and for real, for real, and if you get on government assistance, you know, the, the, the man can't even live in the house. You know, if you're not married, and since most of the people who are on that uh, benefit uh, are not wed, they are at the disadvantage of having a whole family from the outset. Then the chances are, is if you if you are on that benefit, you grew up in a food desert, and you shop. When you shop, you don't even make nutritious decisions because. You don't know how to. When? Why would I pay a dollar ninety nine for one head of organic kale when I can go for a dollar ninety nine and get twenty packs of ramen noodles? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 we have a different experience with money. I don't even even when we have money, it's hard period. to find black people who say they have disposable income. No, you know what? It, it'll be very hard for you to find that unless they come from a system that has been generate, generation, generate, generationally passed down to them, where money right. has been introduced. But that's and not a very common experience yeah. in our community. You know, yeah. there are some communities around the country. Uh, I've been to some, like in Maryland and uh, yeah, Maryland. Dude, over. Yeah, dude, dude. Yeah. Uh, over in Hanover, I went to like it was ridiculous. But the but and then I met a gentleman who grew up in. Uh, one of the first uh, settled cities uh, by freed slaves in Illinois. And, and, you know, that 
was like a pretty well established in uh, Southern Illinois. It's in Illinois. I can't think of the name of the city right now. Okay. Uh, but I but I met this guy and we had a long conversation about it. But I but I I think that you know we unfortunately don't control our own narrative. So what we what did we do? So this is what we did, right? First we st- we tried to start a revolutionary uh, like kind of programming, and we were gonna do free lunch, and we were gonna provide education, and we were gonna relearn our history, and we were gonna be proud to be black. And then what happened? They well, got involved. For some reason. A they group got of involved. people decided to. Drugs got involved. Guns got involved. Then that 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 Black Panther Party turned into the Black Peacestone Rangers. And, and so just so people have an understanding, just so people have an understanding of Huey Newton, uh, Eldridge Cleaver, and Bobby Seal. They created the program when he said about free lunch program. They created the program WIC women, infant, and children. And that program was later taken over by the government after they got rid of these men, these gentlemen, and was able to uh, make that organization implode, which later formed groups like the Black Peace Storm Rangers. And, and the- uh, we're not, let's, let's say it, let's call it what it is. It ain't groups, it's gangs, brother. You know well, what they, I mean? They start off as organizations though. Like they didn't start off as gangs. Man, I know, I know, I know niggas right now that call their gang an organization, bro. You know, I grew up on the South Side, bro. I grew up on they, the South Side too. They they call it an organization, and you can call it what you want to call it, but when you out here doing what you're doing, you know, I mean, we know what it is, you know, and and I and I think that th- here's the other thing. All right, so before, I don't want to belabor the point. Here's the other thing. So that didn't work, right? And and you know, they took it over and they they started, what they started doing was just handing it out because as long as you on that system and you getting this benefit and you ain't working and they know you're not working. So that means, so that means that you ain't no competition. So we're going to make all this money. We're going to give you this handout because it's in our best interest. We'll take that loss off the top. Then we were like, okay, you know what, man, we still powerless. So we started hip hop. Hip hop was a platform, a social platform social for yeah. people who didn't have a voice for people who felt powerless. But now look at that. that now look at that shit. They got involved, right? There used to be social political. It used to be about fight the power. It used to be revolutionary. It used to be about stop selling crack, go to school, get your education from Slick Rick to everybody else, right? Financial and empowerment, everything. Yeah. Everything, everything, right? And then, then what happened? They got involved, right? Then you start getting the gangster rap. Then you start getting the booty shaking music. And this is the crazy part. They didn't want the gangster rap or the booty shaking music because it scared people, right? But once they went to the court and they they went to Supreme Court, they lost to Two Live Crew over freedom of speech. Once Two Live Crew won freedom of speech and they realized that it wasn't nothing they can do, that's all they signed. They picked up. They started their own labels and picked up all these acts Correct. so that they can so they can drown out all of this radical revolutionary shit that was scaring people. And I so think now, uh, Brother Luke was the one who invented the parental advisory sticker, right? I, I have no idea. I mean, Luke, it was... I think Uncle Luke was, was the one behind that. Shout out to Uncle Luke. But, but with that said, what happened was now all that's been distilled down. The, the drug rap, the pimp rap, 
the booty shaking rap, the gangster rap. All that is in the same song now. You know yeah. what I'm saying? All yeah. boiled down and it's flash, right? And and instead of being entertainment and instead of it being like these real authentic street narratives like hip hop used to be, instead of it being like conscious, you know, like shout out to Kendrick. Kendrick's To Pimp a Butterfly was the best hip hop album that came out this century, bro. But there's been a lot of them. Wise Intelligent came out with the Blue Klux Plan. You know, even Nas's new album, man. I like the to King's Nas's new album, yeah. I, I mean, I've been too I mean, busy. The, the I need message, to and listen to it. The message is tight. You know what I mean? Black Alicia. There's so many groups out here who take a conscious approach that, like, to me, matters, man. Because there ain't no platform for that. There ain't no room for that. Now, they're not gonna. So, well, we know what that is, right? Instead of enabling you to do the correct thing and build yourself up and become financially financially stable and empowered instead of you taking back your communities and getting rid of these food debtors i'm gonna pump this music this drone music out in front of you and i'm gonna block you every bit of the way and while i'm blocking you you'll be desensitized by everything else that we're doing and we can just come in and do what we need to along yeah. okay so, i mean so, so while we all fight for drown out conscious music and guys who have a me message, not to say nothing completely wrong about, because I know I like certain booty shaking music. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, we all do. But I, it's I, I know I like. I, I love hustle music because I come, I come from that. Like that's my shit. You understand? You dig what I'm saying? Like I, I'm I, with it. MP, allergy, but you know, and I'm from a shop. So, hey, you know what I mean? But <laughs> it, it is what it is. But it's just a fact that they've been able to control that, and there isn't a balance, right? So that's the thing that like, we don't have a balance. Oh no, no. We it's it's more it's more than that though, man. It's more than that. Like we talking about slavery, man. We talking about using our culture to mentally enslave our young people. Yes. To yes. To, to make to to make to to fake them into believing that their only options, their only options are to be famous, a rapper, entertainer, athlete, you know. Entertainers. Yeah, yeah. Drones. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if you can't do that, then you're a failure, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and so nobody wants to be a criminal, but disproportionately, that's what we become, right? Yeah. And so we get pulled into all of these different systems, the child protective system, the, the, foster, the foster system, the, um, the freaking uh, uh, government benefits system the uh the prison industrial complex system the mental time, health substance and the crazy abuse part about that system. is right, the school the, the and then the school prison, system the school, on top the of school, the prison pipeline is something that Bro. they try to ignore like you guys have been tearing down schools for so long just to build up more prisons and you know why you're doing it because you know that lack of education lack of opportunity will breed criminals you know that and, and if you not get paid off criminals, of they'll be on welfare we know all that. that money they want to give to the police, they can justify it because disproportionately. And, and when you tell people on the news, look at them, look at what they're doing. We have to build more prisons. But well, when we want an education and we ask for it, you don't give it. And when you right. do give it, you cut the funding. So we receive the minimal amount that it takes to run a school, that it takes to pay teachers correctly. And, and we live in an era now where the teachers are not, teaching classes they're babysitting yeah because okay i was asked to do a, a substitute teaching gig once or twice 
It's not my field, but I did it. And when I got there, I was like, they're babysitting. How can you so, get so all these I used kids? to do it. I did it for two years before mm. I went to graduate school, right? And the Chicago public schools, are yes. like, like on, 40, on, on 51st, on 51st, right? Okay. So I'm like, okay, this is this the crazy part, right? Black people are destabilized from birth, bro. You're born, you, first of all, you're born in the food desert. You, you getting all your groceries and all your shit at a corner store. You getting the, the hugs. You getting the flaming Hot, Cheetos. All the shit we grew up on. Like, all yeah, of that. Number right? five. Yeah. All of it, right? So, so you don't, first, you don't learn nothing about nutrition. So, imagine you wake up, right? And you don't, you don't, you don't know anything about nutrition. You don't have a nutritious diet. Then your parents send you to school. Now, let's say you grew up. In a, in a household with your mama, with your auntie, with your sister, right? So now your family structure is a little bit different than the nuclear option, right? The nuclear family. Now, I, I grew up with my mom and my dad and my grandma and my grandparents and my cousin. We all lived in the same house, right? But, like, you, you go to school, you go to school, especially now, because don't nobody know how to cook, don't nobody know how to clean, nobody know how to do none of that shit. You go to school. You hungry because you woke up and you popped uh, a, a pop tart in the in a toaster. Not even in a toaster. You ate it cold because you ain't even got a toaster. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm sure they might so, eat it away. Right. So then you go to school. You go to school. A lot of these kids they go into school high, right? If they go to school sober, they go into school hungry. They distracted because they not sustained. How can you receive? The education in a in a public school system that might be underperforming if when you high on sugar, it, but but and also when you're crashing forty five minutes after getting there, absolutely. You, you know what I'm saying? And and to speak on that, the the grocery stores that they do put around the neighborhoods, like the corner stores or these small name grocery stores, I'm not gonna name. All the foods when you go in there, if it's not groceries, it's all high fructose corn syrup uh for sure. items for sure it's all and so when they say that diabetes and hypertension and all these things are genetic diseases that's not true those that's are environmental true. diseases right and so and so and then if you go in one of those same stores and you try and buy a banana right you can get a you can get a bunch of bananas at kroger for how much how much Jenny? how much you get 59 cents you go to a little bodega or whatever they call it you get like, one uh, banana for for like a dollar, bro. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like to get a healthy food is a dollar. So like so like they make access to nutritious food so unaffordable that you you don't even consider it, right? So you for a substitute. So now, so now you're part of the medical system, the hospital system, because you got these diseases that in your in your twenties, thirties, and forties, you know. And yeah. that like that like nobody else dealing with because they don't live in the communities you live in. And then here's the other thing: all the people who own them stores, bro, none of them. Why? 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 Why do does every? Why does no one in the black community who runs a business? Why? Why ain't they black? You know, you got the Asians who run the hair stores, yeah, and all the yeah. and all the little fried chicken Chinese fried rice stores. Yeah. You got the Arabs who run all the fried chicken and fish stores. You know what I mean? Like, like every, everybody has a part in the business except for us. Right. Why, so we can't open business in our own neighborhood, but somebody who, who is not even from here, right, 
can come to our neighborhood. Give money, they get the money, and they have to set up shop right in our community. And And they're siphoning, and they're siphoning money from the community. And every- Which doesn't allow for the black dollar to bounce around the neighborhood and collect any type of- uh, Exactly. If you go to a Jewish neighborhood, bro, that dollar, that. that dollar probably won't leave a Jewish hand. It bounces around at least 20 times before it, before it gets out of there. Bro, it won't it leave. It does go out. Hand. It probably goes to a bank that they know of a friend or a family friend or something like that. And, but so here's, here's, my, here's my question. What do we do to try and change at least some of it, a small percentage of it? Because we can't change it on a broad scale, right? What can we do? in the meantime to implement these types of practices in school where there's a nutrition class uh there's a a financial uh help class that we could implement is there a way to do that i think so you so you know how you know how like you know when a kid learns something like if they learn in a sport we teach them how to read the plays you know we teach them how to do the plays we teach them the moves we teach them the techniques you know, all of that. Kids get really into how it works. Right? When you're playing a video game, you know what I mean? Yeah. You got to learn how the weapons work. You got to learn how the controller works. You got to learn how to use each weapon for each stage. I think that we need to start teaching kids about the pitfalls. You know what I mean? We need to, we need to talk to kids from a very young age about all the traps that are laid in their path and how to how to how to read the play how to how to see them how to identify them how to recognize them and how to either go through them over them or around them without getting I agree stuck. I agree my other add on to that would be to make it fun somehow we would have to make it fun uh, but, but see we talking about kids so it's easy to make it fun I do therapeutic art engagement okay. with my with my, my my friend and my brother Brent Billingsley. We uh, we have a nonprofit that we started called Pieces. Okay. They bring us into all kinds of environments. We go into the hospital and we work on psychiatric units, right? We go into the school system and we work in a classroom. We go into faith-based organizations and work in an office space. We work with adults who interface with kids all with the purpose of improving the outcomes for those kids, right? So, so regardless of what environment we're in, if we're dealing with psychiatric symptoms, depression, suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, anxiety, if we're dealing with behavioral health issues like aggression or agitation, if we're dealing with friction or interpersonal relationships, we're addressing it using art-based interventions. It's it's all art. They don't even know it's therapy because we don't call it therapy, right? How and long it's have you been doing therapy. that? And it's fun. How That's long have you that. been doing that? I've been doing that with this brother for the last four years. Okay. I've been working. I've been working with him. I've been knowing him and working with him for the last seven years. And we were setting up a framework the first three years. We tried. We worked at the hospital. We tried to. We tried to change our job description because this is what we wanted to do. We wrote up a proposal. We wrote up, you know, a plan of what we could do because we wanted to go to all the hospital campuses and work with all the kids. Okay. They shot us down. They said no. So we started our own business and we started contracting with them. And now we at all of the campuses. You know what I'm saying? So like, so 
we do that very thing and it's fun. We produced over 300 images, bro. Like 300 large scale portraits of people, recognizable people. That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. And, and so when we talk about going into a school or a classroom and teaching kids about these pitfalls, I think that we need to do just two parts, right? We need to, we need to talk about, to, we need to talk to the kids about the pitfalls and how to recognize them. But we also need to talk about, talk to the people in power and with the privilege uh, who can change the, the way that the traps are laid. You know, they're only laid because they're, they're being allowed to lay. And, and, I, and I think that if we, uh, so I also, I go around and I do these lectures, I do these talks uh, about my work. You know, we were talking about these conscious records and all of that. And, I, and you know, you, this music machine is out here signing conscious acts. They just sell in their products and they own it. So they never release it or they sue them. They sue them out of existence and they can never really produce it. So, you know, there, there are people out here with power and with money and resources who could do it, you know, they just aren't doing it, right? So we, we can teach our kids all we want, but at the end of the day, you know, a, 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 a baby cheetah or, or, or a baby ostrich or whatever the hell, a baby warthog learns from his mom to look out for predators, but that don't stop predators from eating warthogs every day you know absolutely so we need to so we need to work with the predators too you know and i and i think that this movement that we find ourselves in now is like a perfect opportunity to do that because our voices all of our voices collectively have been raised and i feel like you know i've been doing this work for years and i have a much larger platform now and i'm i'm not taking that for granted you know i'm using that platform to really have conversations with people who I would have never uh, thought that I would be talking to about this kind of thing. And, and if I can leave an impression on them that helps facilitate the change that I'd like to see for people who look like me, who grew up in communities like the community that I grew up in, who could be my kid, my brother, my sister, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, man. You know, I'm burning it on both sides. So, so talk about that. Where did you grow up uh, in Chicago? I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a neighborhood oh, called Jeffrey Manor. And JMG. JMGs, man. And, and, and you know what's crazy is that, like, as I didn't know it was, like, as bad as it was, you know, because it was just normal. Then I went to college right so i grew up in this neighborhood my whole life never had a conversation about college parents never went to college never even knew i was going to college until one of my teachers so your, your parents know none your grandmother your no mother, no no okay so i got a scholarship to go to college because we filled out applications in my art class when i was a junior and senior right okay so when i got the scholarship my mom was like yeah you going you know because she wanted me to get up out of there because for real, man, like if I would not have gone to college nine and a half hours away, um, I probably would be a statistic, man. You know, like, I, I mean, I grew up and we all grew up just with this kind of life being normal. I remember finding somebody packed 20, 20, 30 fucking crack rocks. I sold them bitches. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I remember like, like my uncle was murdered behind my grandparents' house, you know, shot six times in his head, bro, by a fucking a hype that I saw every day up until a couple years ago when she got killed by a, a fucking dog that got loose. How random is that? My aunties was crackheads. My uncles was crackheads. You know what I'm saying? My, my dad was a drug dealer. You know what I'm saying? He served out our crib, bro. Like, like, and, and so I found art. Art gave me the kind of freedom I needed. I got a scholarship. My mom was like, you get the fuck up out of here. Boom. Having that happen, do you think there's a, a realm or a level of being desensitized that comes with that when you see? Yeah, because it's normal. Of course, yeah. you desensitize because it's normal. Bro, I've been walking around with a piece of glass in the bottom of my foot for like three months. I've been complaining about it, but it's so, it's so, I'm so desensitized to it now. I know I need to go. Yeah. 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 The pain is painful, but it's like, it's not as painful as it was when it first started. You know what I mean? And, and that's what it's like. It's like you, you grow up and you don't know no other life. You don't experience no other life. You don't get to see like, like there ain't no greener grass nowhere. All the grass brown. Do you think that black people suffer from a form or from PTSD? I think that black people, I think that we all suffer from a historical trauma. We all, we all are, um, we're, we're reliving trauma generation after generation after generation i don't i don't necessarily think it's ptsd you know because because the way that ptsd is characterized you know i I think that's more of an individual thing but collectively you know like it's not a post-traumatic stress disorder because we are experiencing these traumas on a daily basis, bro. We just talked about a dude who got shot in the back seven times. That could have been you. What if we changed that as to post-traumatic slavery disorder? Damn. Hmm? I mean, shit, bro. I mean... Because it's passed down through your genes, whether you believe it or not. Yeah. Well, it's a historical <laughs> trauma. It's yeah. generational. Yeah. And, you know, and we perpetuate it amongst ourselves and it's in, it's inflicted upon us you know and it's so, real so let me ask you this and, and we can come back to that you got the scholarship your mom said you're going was how many schools bro uh, she drove me she drove me she not only <laughs> said she's going she rented a u-haul packed all my shit got my cousin to help got her boyfriend to help because my parents split when i was a junior in high school which was fine. And she drove me down, bro. I ain't even have an apartment. I ain't have an apartment. I stayed with the family members I met at the family reunion the summer before, right? And and it was cool until my drunk uncle, like the first week, came home threatening me, chased me around the house with a big-ass butcher knife. His mama house, I should add. So I called my mom. I'm like, I'm, I can't stay here. I'm out. Like, I would rather stay on the street. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to the school. The school found me some in-between place until my apartment was ready. 
then I moved into the apartment because I never stayed on campus or nothing like that, you know. Was it only one scholarship that you received or were there were there? More? I got two. I got two. I got one to go to Memphis and I got one to go to Columbus. And I went I went to Memphis. I went to Memphis because Memphis, Memphis was further away, you know. You like, I'm trying to get the hell away from Chicago, right? No, my mom was trying to get me the hell away from Chicago okay. because and she I, knew I did, her I brother, her brother got killed in the streets, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't blame like, for that. Yeah. Like all my aunties, all her kids, they moved. They got moved out to Minnesota and whatever, and Arizona and whatever, trying to get them up out the way. You know what I mean? It, it's crazy. Like when you think about it, right? As you're saying that, I'm reliving these moments. Like at 10 years old, I saw uh, a young man who I was cool with. He was a friend of mine, and I seen him get killed. You know, and then at 11. I witnessed another person get killed. You understand what I'm saying? And then there's a friend of mine who I'm still friends with to this day. Uh, may his father rest in peace. His father was shot, right? And then after that, his mom was shot in the face. And I'm starting to just re like relive this stuff. And it's like, it's crazy growing up that we go through these type of things. And over time, like you, you are desensitized by it. And there's a a level of anger and, ra anger and rage that comes along with it too. Cause you're, just, you're like, I need an outlet. I need to be able to, to, to release, but I don't know how. And oftentimes, because you don't know how, it becomes misplaced anger and misplaced aggression. And you say and do things that you really don't mean, but because you don't have the outlet. Uh, so so out. I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because I agree with that completely. Like my first uh, year in college, I got suspended from college, mm. right? And first of all, who gets suspended from college? You paying to be there, right? <laughs> I I got suspended because I I blacked out on this on this lady at the school for something that was so silly. But like, you you right, man. You just got so much anger and rage that sometimes when an opportunity presents itself to release it on anyone in any direction, you take it. You you do. You know, and and. So I embarrassed myself, you know what I'm saying? I, I felt embarrassed. I had to write a formal letter of apology. I got pulled out of my class by the dean of the school. I, um, I, I lost my scholarship after that first year because I didn't take really? it. And my mom, she was like, you know what? Don't worry about it. We're going to keep you there, uh, whatever. Now, I was like, okay, I need to change something in myself because I know that this is a problem. And because I was in a different environment and, you know, cause in our neighborhoods, we, we ain't allowed to be vulnerable. You know, that's just not an option. Right. But I'm, in, but I'm in an environment now where I can be vulnerable. I'm looking around and it's only seven black people, everybody else, white and Asian and whatever else. Like first time I've been around, like I met white people at my mom's job, but this is the first time in my life I actually ever had a conversation with a white person who I befriended. Like I didn't meet white people till I went to yeah. college. And I, I, I totally get that, because for me, it was like, that was the first time I experienced it without it being boxing or without it being my counselor. You, 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 you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yeah. That was the first time ever when I, when I first tried college. Yeah. And so, and so what I did was I'm like, all right, I need, to, I need to look around. You know you know how in the hood, you know every car that passed by, man, they was just over here three minutes ago. They've been in this corner all day. Oh, look at him. He's he been gone since, you, you know, everything that happened on the block, right? So 
I'm at school doing the same thing, looking at all the people, breaking them down, assessing them, you know? And I'm like, all right, this dude, he got good communication skills. He cool. Like, even when people pop fly, he still stay cool. The way he handle it, the way the girls respond to him, the way the dudes respond to him. I'm like, man, that's the kind of, that's how I want to handle my conversation. So I started modeling my communication style, like, after this dude. Of course, it was still me, but I'm like, I just... I had to take some deep breaths because this was a process. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Absolutely. But like, but like, eventually, it stuck, man. And I learned, I learned really effective ways to purge all that anger and all that shit out of me. And the art was great because it externalized all of these pent up emotions and feelings that I couldn't make, I couldn't verbally articulate because I was so young. But but now I'm at a point in my life where I teach young people how to do that for themselves, man. And like, I'm so thankful, you know, like, because it's crazy because I didn't have nobody to teach me how to do it. I had to figure it out myself. Yeah. I had to teach myself. I had to help myself. I had to navigate it myself, but I'm in a, I'm in a really unique position with my partner, man, where we are able to really help young people do this thing, you know, especially people who look like us. And, and I and, applaud you, and I salute you for that. That's that's a very big work, and I applaud you for that. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yes, but it's like you know, I feel like I feel like we owe it. We owe it to each other. We owe it to each other. And you know, like I had a lady ask me uh, at that event I was telling you about, Black Box at the Contemporary Art Center. She asked me. She said, you know, why is it that when um, Black men, especially when they get on and they they successful and they live in their best life, that they don't reach back and try to pull up other young brothers, you know? And, and I didn't really have an answer for that question, you know? And because I know that I've been on the, I've been on the receiving end of that kind of rejection, you know, where somebody's on and they're in a position to put me on, but they keep moving. They don't even turn around and look back to extend a hand you know what i think that is i think that's the i have to keep it to myself because i don't want nobody to do it better than i did you know what i mean i don't want to help nobody else but that's but that's what they doing bro that's why we can't get in but that's what i'm saying like that's what they do though because the rejection that i know i think i know what you're talking about i've experienced that and it's like hey i know i can i know this dude can get there for sure so I just wait my turn when he gets there, and then maybe he'll come back. He'll turn around and say, "All right, I'm gonna open up the window, and you climb in through the window, right?" Right. When I get in. I open up another window, and I tell Mike, "You come in through the window too." This dude shut the windows, locked the doors, reprogrammed the codes to all the alarms. <laughs> he did everything right, and he, and he kept me out. And when I asked him about, it, I was like, "Hey, why would you?" He's, "Oh man, you know, I, I gotta look out for myself." Say, like, "Bro, but you in there." The whole purpose was to look out for people that are like you and that can provide better opportunities for those who are like us as well. Yeah. But listening to his conversation, I'm not going to go into the conversation because, you know, I'm, I, I want to see this person later on. You know what I mean? And I want to talk <laughs> yeah. to him. But um, having that conversation with this person, hearing them say it, it was basically him saying that I would rather just it be me. Yeah. I would rather be able to look out for me. I don't want no one else to come in and outshine me and they take the opportunities from me that I got for myself. 
But no yeah. one's here to take anything from you. We're here to add to it and build on yeah. top of it. Yeah. Right? It's, it's not to take anything away from your success, uh, your level of shine or whatever people want to consider it, whatever it is, but it's to add to it, to add to us. Yeah. The more we can look out for us, the better we can do. I told her, I told her, I said, you know, I, I, I see it. I understand it. Yeah. I said, but I, but I don't, I don't perpetuate it. You know, I don't subscribe to it. Cause I I'm, think ignorance. I'm always looking back. Yeah. I, I think it's ignorant. I always got a, a hand extended. You know, I'm always inviting people and, and trying to encourage people and build people up because man, those people ultimately, like you said, help make everything that I'm doing better. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, th like there is nothing that I'm doing that if I bring on board other people that couldn't be better than and then originally planned. You know, um, like you can't do nothing by yourself, man. Um, so, and so, to me, to me, the other thing about that is I don't feel comfortable, my guy, being successful by myself. I just don't. I don't, because it's like when I go out and I'm celebrating, who am I celebrating with? There's not, a, there's not very few people that look like me when I'm celebrating the success. There are people around me now who I can go out and celebrate with, but there are times it's just like, how do you do that without people that know what that struggle is like? You know what I mean? People that know what it's like to see people get shot. People that come from gangs, people that come from drugs, people that have been in, in jail and things like that, but have made successes of themselves. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? How can you honestly say that you made it if you never helped nobody else? That's that's when you know you're a boss, when you help other people up. That's yeah, how you and, they, and they follow you and they follow yeah. you. Yeah. And, and, yeah. It, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's a, I mean, your, your, your character is already who you are, but it keeps you from having a reputation as a sucker. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like anybody yeah. can give you a reputation, but your character is what remains, right? And you always want to make sure that your character, to me, is solidified. Yeah. But that's well, that's just you know that's me. I'm, I'm, but but you know we all we all works in progress, man, and we all at certain certain levels of development, if you will. Yeah. And I just you know, and I know that it's not going to always be perfect, and I know that I can't help everybody. I'm realistic. But man, you know, I, I I put in work in these communities, man. You know, I put in work in these communities in a whole bunch of buildings, outside, inside, around. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I I I when I when I'm done, when my time here is done, mm -hmm. I have no idea what people are gonna say about me. But I but I'm pretty sure that most of the people who have something to say will be people that actually like experience me in my most authentic self. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's just, that's somebody that's like, I like, I look for opportunities, but I also like providing opportunities. Dude, I get, I get requests all the time for projects and I'm like, well, you know, I could do that. It came to me. I want the money, you know, it's good money, but you know what, man, I know somebody who could do this better than I can. Mm. And I think that you would be more satisfied with the end result if I put you on to them. So I connect them. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I try to make that happen. And, I, and it ain't no shame, man. I don't have no problem identifying someone in my life currently 
who I know who can do this thing better than me. You know what I'm saying? And I can put them on because you know what, man? When I call you, if I need you for something, you're more likely to help me because you know that I got love for you. You know that this is... That this bond is, is secure. Yeah, this ain't about competition. You know what I'm saying? This is about community and human resources, you know, and an and and understanding that nothing that you can, like, imagine, nothing that you can envision is possible without the help and the work and the emotional or physical labor of other people, man, Absolutely. creatively. Like, so, so I'm, I'm with it, man. You know, I just, I, 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 I don't bite off more. I do bite off more than I can chew. I think, but, we have to do. I think we have but, to. but I don't, but I don't, I don't keep it all to myself. I give it like as young people, I got mentors, man. I got not, I got mentors, but I also have mentees, you know? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to empower young people. I'm trying to empower older people. I mean, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not trying to do shit. I'm doing this. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm doing it. And, and I, and I just, I just hope that I have as much time as I want because man, you're creating the time. I think, I think you're creating the time. You know, this, this, like you said earlier, to me, it doesn't sound like you finished it. But when your work is done, I think it'll speak for yourself because that's what we all want, right? Yeah. You know how it works. I think the song, uh, an old church song said that, may the works I've done speak for me. You know, <laughs> I think that's what we all want, you know, whether we, for some of us, I'm not going to say what we all want, but for some of us, we want all the works that we've done to speak for us. Uh, and that's very important. Uh, because we want to make sure that we were productive and progressive throughout the course yeah. of our life. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one for contentment. You know, I'm yeah. not, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm, I can't just sit up. I mean, I love TV. You know what I'm saying? I like arcade games. I'll play some arcade games, but I'm not going to be playing video games and none of that. And it ain't nothing wrong with none of that, right? Wow. But like, but like, I, I really, I really like to spend my time doing something that's going to improve my standing or someone else's standing like whether it's mentally emotionally physically financially creatively you know you had any lee on there you know what i mean <laughs> actually i mean yeah. you know whatever you know like i just i really i really um i really like to build up everyone i like to put invest energy into building up everyone you know let's go let's go back to art in high school what art was it that you did what, like what was your niche like what, what did you what did you i mean do? i i didn't have one man i started with culinary art then i transferred to commercial art and in commercial art we did you know some figure drawings we did pointillism we did color pencils oil and chalk pastels you know ink um, you know, we did all of that stuff. So my portfolio was kind of diverse because we had done all of these different types of, you know, things. Um, but I didn't really discover um, who I was as an artist until really like five years ago, for real. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. The whole time you were going through uh, college, 
was it still like you were still going through a transformation phase or were you just like learning the different mediums that you right so so what i was doing in college is is exactly that i was learning you know uh, sculpture was my major in undergrad so i learned how to how to use clay i learned i learned how to process the slurry and fire the kiln I learned how to do woodwork and use all these tools and stack laminate and reduction and blah, 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 blah. Then I had an injury. So I learned how to weave. I learned how to embroider. I learned how to batik and dye and, and all kind of stuff. Right. And then I learned printmaking and calligraph and papermaking and all of this stuff. Papermaking. Paper yeah. Making paper. Yes. In books. <laughs> Oh, I swear to God, you can chop up a pair of blue jeans and make some paper, bro, and it'll be, wow. it'll be, it'll be legit. So like, so I learned all of that, right? And it, I, even though my major was sculpture, and I, you know, my my end of my show was these weavings and stuff like that. You know, it was it really wasn't who I was as an artist. You know, what it was was the beginning of my of my narrative. You know, I wanted I wanted to use the byproduct of human consumption and extend the life of these one-time use things like cardboard and plastics and whatnot. So I did the substitute teacher thing in Chicago on 51st for two years after I graduated, decided I needed to go back to school because I, I wasn't cut out to be a teacher in the Chicago public school. So I, I got accepted to the Peace Corps, but then I decided that I didn't want to do that. So I went to graduate school. Got to graduate school. Talk about the Peace Corps. So what what was what made you decide to do that? Because I wanted to travel and I mean at the end of the day that's that was that was, that was well, it. Yeah. yeah okay. And, it turned, and then, you know, I've been all over the world. I've been to like forty two countries since then, so I ain't need the fucking Peace Corps, thank God. <laughs> but 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 when I went to graduate school, when I went to graduate school, you know, I was like it was uh, that that resilience that we have as a people really came into play because you know i was doing these cardboard and plastic and styrofoam sculptures and they were like oh it couldn't these be bronze couldn't these be plastic I'm like yeah but they could be but they ain't motherfucker you know what i'm saying like <laughs> like like where i grew up where i grew up ain't no damn bronze sculptures like bro and jeffrey manor find one bronze sculpture Right. The one I could tell you it was was the, the booties that you had as a kid. That was it. Right. You know, right. But that was it. So so, so the ain't, ain't no plaster sculpture, ain't no nothing, right? You don't even know so, what that is growing up. So I grew up, you know, on punishment a lot because my grades was terrible. But like, you know, so we had these papers, we would make ninja stars and guns and do the, the fortune tellers and tic tac toe and the paper balls and the airplanes and one piece of paper could be like 25 different things before it started falling apart. So yeah. I'm like, if I could extend the life of this paper, why can I do that with these other materials? So I would go to the art store and I would buy art supplies and it would come in a box or in a bag. I would use the box in the bag. You know what I mean? I paid for it. It's a legitimate art supply. And so they weren't really happy with that until at the end when I graduated, I did this big installation and I had them eating out of my hands. After that, I was like, all right, I know that I knew I knew what my what my vision was. And my vision was to do conceptual work, but not like that whack conceptual stuff where I got a stick and some sand with a line around it and I'm talking about some 
philo- philosophical, kinetic, spiritual, Indian tantric. Both, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like actual, actual right. put some like, work in and, and create something, and so people can understand. Right, making making using visual references to make real world connections. Right, and so I went to uh, a residency in Vermont for a month after I graduated. And after I got back from that, I had a show in uh, Philadelphia. And then I didn't make work for like four years, five years. And because like I had lost, I lost my motivation. I lost my inspiration. I was living in Ohio. I didn't have that creative energy around me. And then uh, five years ago, you know, I, decided to pick up a paintbrush. I dropped painting in college. I never took a painting class in my life, you know? And I started painting and started painting portraits. And then next thing I know, I got a show. And then they turned one of my portraits into a mural. And then I got this, and then I got that. And it started spreading like wildfire. So now, so now, you know, I had a chance conversation with a gentleman overseas who gave me an antagonist to use in paintings to tell black stories. And so now that's all I do, man. All I do is tell stories right now about black men and and I use white monkeys uh, in, in, the, in the visual narrative to help tell the story. And it's like for the last two years, it's been the best thing that has happened to me as an artist. I feel like I'm doing something that no one has done before. I'm doing something that's extremely unique to me. I'm talking about stories about, that are happening right now in real time. I'm giving lectures at fucking universities. You know what I'm saying? You like, like you got your creativity back. Man, not like like it was like it was like like Stella got her groove back type. You know what I mean? Like like I just I just had this creative awakening and now i can't turn it off it's like over like the rest of my life is it's it's over that's good that's good that's what you were searching for right yeah yeah it it took me this long though you know what i mean it took me this long and and now i'm so grateful because that I, i i don't there is no shortage there's no creative block there is no artist block that doesn't happen anymore at this stage you know what i mean at this stage like i i got it there's not a someone can walk up to me tomorrow and say hey i got a five thousand square foot airplane hanger and we want you to come in and build an installation and guess what i'm gonna do i'm gonna grab my sketchbook and i'm gonna open it up to a page where i have a piece that we can execute within and build out in two months That'll be bomb as shit. That'll that that'll be on message too, right? Because my work now is about African American men, the demonization of African American men, and the appropriation of African American culture, and the intentional destabilization of African American people from birth in contemporary America. Everything that I do is centered around this concept. Whether it's there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Because right. it's being done and all you're doing is just taking it into an art form and saying, look, yeah. this is what's happening. 
and this is the beautiful part about it, right? Like I'm not getting in, a, I'm not preaching on a pulpit. I'm creating sculptures and paintings and drawings and whatever it is that I'm doing. Oh, pieces. And people and people are spending time with them, having conversations with themselves. And then it encourages them to engage in a dialogue with me about topics that were faux pas. You know, these, these, these topics were not acceptable. People didn't want to engage in them because they were uncomfortable. They made people uncomfortable. They made people, it sounded like conspiracy theory. Like all the stuff we talk about, like we started our conversation with. Yes. Without, without visual references, when you're talking to people outside of our culture, they think we crazy. Oh no, it can't and be that. that the sad part about that is it took, may God rest his soul, George Floyd to open up a dialogue, right? It took the death of another man to be seen on TV, another black man to be seen on TV for someone to go, yo, we need to do something about that. But we've been screaming the whole time, like, yo, they keep doing this, like help, like get these guys some help so we can help ourselves because they're doing it too. Right, right. And you know what's crazy, Ahmaud Arbery, he died, he died this year, right? He got stalked by the uh, by the two dudes, the father and son, and they shot him with the rifle. I did a painting. What, before you go forward, the two two guys shot him. But what was the guy actually doing that was following him in the car? He was just he was just riding. Was he? Well, he was. He, so so think about it like this: when you're in a hunting party or when you're on safari, right? You got your cameras or your rifles. And you doing, that's what you doing, but you always got a driver. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't go on safari without a driver or you or right. you'll be prey, you know? Right. So he was doing his job. He was driving. You know what I'm saying? He, he pulled up, he let him out, and they did they did what they came to do. And they, you know. And, and, I feel like they might have been a part of that whole situation, too. And it just so happened that it went wrong before. Right, right. But I did a painting. I did a painting two years ago. Okay. And that, and that painting, I, like like that painting was the Ahmaud Arbery story that happened this year. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, it was literally two monkeys in this painting, one of them with a rifle, one of them standing on top of the, on top of the dead black man, like he an elephant on the safari. And instead of ivory, it's ebony that they hunt. Dude, they, 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 they hunting us, man, and targeting us they, for our culture, for all the gems that we bring. Our culture is world culture. Our culture is pop culture. Our culture, our culture is high fashion. Facts. You know, the, the language, the, the lingo, all this TikTok shit, these dances they doing, that's us, bro. You know what I'm You're saying? Reenacted over and over and over and over a million times over again. Right. It doesn't look like we did it. Right. Right, right, and then you show up and you got a do rag on and some and some cornrows, right? <laughs> like you ain't like you ain't never seen a do rag and some cornrows. Right, and then we looking at y'all going like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Right, right. and all of a sudden it's cool for y'all to wear cornrows, but you're gonna call it something different. Right, and something something that's not uh that's not scary and that's not stereotypical, and and so so we being we being hunted, man, because we are. We're batteries for this economy, you know. We drive this economy. Everything we push, and we we push we push culture. 
you know. But everything we touch turns to gold, and I mean the good and the bad, right? Because if you touch them drugs, it's gonna be gold for the criminal the justice system. It's gonna be gold for the law, the lawyers and the judges. It's gonna be gold for the treatment programs and the counselors. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? If you if you touch, you know, if you depending on where you at, if you touch the right thing, it's gonna be gold for you or it's gonna be gold for somebody else. But in most cases, it's gold for somebody else. Yeah. Like, like we, we are the most profited on people in this country. Yeah, we make, uh, was it, we spend, no, we spend $3 trillion a year as a people, and maybe half a penny or a penny of it comes back into our, uh, our own community. That's Ain't crazy. That something wild, like that doesn't even make sense. It does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. But yet you're baffled by it, and, and it, is, it sounds absurd, like it, it can't happen. But you're witnessing it every day when you drive, when, I, when I'm on the west side, and I'm looking at all these abandoned buildings and parking lots. And then you go to the south side, and buildings are, are boarded up or there's nothing going on. You know, it's just like, how does this happen? But and we know that it's done systematically, right? We know that because right. people don't know about financial empowerment, things of this nature. So, it's a strategy, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For those who don't know, I wish you guys would pick up a book called Black Labor, White Wealth by Dr. Claude Anderson. He'll explain it to you. He'll break it down to you. Dr. Claude Anderson. He has plenty of books for people to read. And when you pick up these books and you read them, you will get a better uh, understanding and representation of what he's talking about and the things that we can do to uh, micromanage and, and repeat, re repair uh, what has been done. Um, I see guys like you who are slowly doing it or are doing it guys like me who are slowly doing it or are doing it um it's it's a, it's a mighty work but it's a work that needs to be done yeah man we all got a part to play you know i i'm i'm not going to be overwhelmed by the burden of it all because i know that it's not all on me you know i'm not super I, don't, I don't feel like it's a burden though i just feel like i've been chosen for a cause that um has been left undone you know what i mean like yeah. someone was sewing up a shirt and they just left. Like whether it was their time, whether it was their lunch period or whatever it was. And I just, just happened to see the shirt. It's like, oh shit, I know how to sew a shirt. And mm -hmm. I just started doing it, you know? So uh, I'm thankful for, let me say that real quick, Christway Missionary Baptist Church and the Gotcha Youth Program, God and Our Talented Youth Ahead, who allowed me to participate and uh, help mentor some of these kids out here for 10 years. So. Um, that was a wonderful thing. I'm looking to get back into more of that. But for now, I got a lot of things that I'm trying to do. And I want to make sure that, you know, I get those things uh, moving in the right direction as well. Yeah, man. And I think, I think that, you know, I, you know, I choose, I, you know, I choose to say I got a lot of things I am doing because I am doing them, you know, and, and, and in my attempt, uh, in, in, in the action of doing, there's an attempt to have a certain outcome, which the where, where try comes in, right? But I know a lot of dudes that's trying to do something that ain't doing nothing, you know? Yeah. And, but you ain't one of them, right? So like, why not? So why not? I think that I think that we should change the verbiage. Yeah. The yeah, verbiage man. And, and, say, and just say I I am doing, man, because like once you. Something about a switch as simple as that, like opportunities just, they just fall in your path. And yeah. it's, it's, 
that it's instant reward, you know, and I don't mean reward like money. I mean reward like in the in the sense that you things are about the form. Things will form. Yeah. Things will yeah. start to form for you when you start doing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So instead so, of I am trying, I'll say I am working on or I am doing. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Because that's because that's what we are doing, man. Yeah. This conversation, our interaction, our friendship, this this you know, if you listen to the future song, you know, nigga, you ain't about shit. Or you listening to all of these, you know, fuck them other niggas because I'm down. Like, like, even though that's entertainment, the subliminals, and when you're in a club and you're drinking and you hear that and you're looking around at each other, it creates a divide and a separation, man. So, like, the fact that we here, you know, we, we on two separate paths but we have found an intersection that like is meaningful Absolutely. to both to both of us and and i think it's important that we continue to not only explore that but we continue to figure out ways to really magnify that you know Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so i'm just i'm just thankful that we met you know like and i'm i'm thankful that we stayed in touch after all this time because, you know, I, I, I think especially with, with like black men, man, there's this, this homophobic kind of thing, man, where like we can't even be friends because it's, it seemed too gay kind of thing. And so I think in a position that we're in as older men who understand life, You've been to 42 countries. I haven't been to that many, but I did some travel. But along with broadening your horizons, I think you get a better sense that having friendship, having fellowship, having relationship, those are positives. There's nothing wrong with men being able to get along and build and build something up and being able to support each other. It, with the bad part about it, well, not the bad part, the ignorance of it is it starts as as young men when we aren't taught to do those type of things. And yeah. You got to go over there, do your thing. I got to go over here and I got to do my thing. And we can't do it together. And we're not taught to get along and to be able to pursue the same things and help each other strive for goals. Hey, Mike, if you're down and you need something over here, I do have this so I can help you get in with that. Or right. if you need that, I can help you out with that. And we aren't taught that, right? So – a lot of that comes from the misrepresentation or the lack of love, uh, trust, relationship, and fellowship that we don't develop uh, often with each other. We think we know what it is. We think we know what it is until one of us starts succeeding, one of us decides to leave the neighborhood and do things like that. And then we find out who these guys truly are, right? Right, right. For me personally, I never felt, uh, even as a young man, I never felt like, someone else's win was my loss. I always felt like if another dude won, that was a win for all of us. Even though it's his win, it's a win for all of us because he got he got he was able to do something. Right. right. I've always been the type of dude to support somebody, uh, no matter what it was that they were striving for. As long as it was something positive, I, I think that it's always best to keep to keep pushing people to stay inspired and motivated to do things. Whatever it is that they pursue, whether it's art, travel, uh, being a lawyer, a judge, being in philosophy, a chemist, a physicist, whatever it is, I think it's, it's valuable and it's meaningful for us to stand behind one another 
or next to each other and push each other. Uh, that homophobic, I, I think that's just, it's, it's, it's such a nasty way of looking at things because it doesn't help. Like, how do you help another person and build them up by not saying anything to them, by not encouraging them? Uh, it's, it's always needed because you never know what a person feels like when they feel like quitting, right? You never feel like, you never know when a person feels like just saying, you know what, I'm going to hang it up. Like, I don't have nobody here to support me and I don't have a network. And that's another thing I want to mention that we, as far as black men, we create small networks, but we don't share them. You know, and I feel like that's another thing that we need to stop doing, like holding all these things to ourselves when we can easily just help each other by giving giving someone a helping hand. You know, like it's yeah. so much easier to, 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 to give someone a helping hand than to hold everything to himself. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, I, I'm, I'm all about connecting people, man. Really. I'm all about connecting people, man. I, I met a girl for 15 minutes one night, and then I saw her again for 15 minutes the second night, and I found out that she was doing a photo voice project with kids who, with black kids whose parents died from gunshot violence, right? Mm -hmm. And so she was going to do, uh, they were going to do photographic work to kind of bring awareness to it and to, to, to deal with it, to cope with it, right? And she's like, you know, I always imagine we could do this as an art show, show these in the gallery. We could have wine and cheese. And I was like, well, why can't you? And she's like, well, because she's a teacher. She's a, a, a professor at the, the University of Cincinnati. Okay. And she's, like, and she's like, well, I don't know anything about art, and I don't know. I'm like, well, I do, you know. And dude, in less than three days, three galleries said yes to showing her project, you know. Mm -hmm. So she, now, so now she's got a traveling show, you know. As one, of the, one of them's in a different city, and two of them are here, and it's like, you know. Like, I could have held those resources. You know, I, I'm always concerned because I don't want someone else to jeopardize my relationships that I've spent all this time building with people because I don't know how they are professionally, especially somebody I just met for 30 minutes total. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, I'm going out, so I'm going out on a limb, you know, advocating for you because I believe in this project that you're doing because I think that long-term it can help that some of that that trauma that we talked about some of that ptsd right yeah. and and so so i'm gonna do it you know and, and and it worked out you know it worked it really did work out so um so i i just i just i i find myself in a very unique position to connect people with different talents and different skill sets and you know, at the end of the day, like, I want them, like, you know, those people are looking for opportunities just like I am. I can't hold them to myself and limit their opportunities because I'm insecure or I'm selfish, you know? So I connect them to... I, I, I would rather people just succeed, man. I would just yeah. rather people succeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, man. Yeah, that's... Yeah, a lot. I got a lot on my mind. I got a lot. <laughs> I got a lot in my life, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
And I'm just, I'm just trying to be great, man. I'm just trying Absolutely. to be. I ain't trying to be famous. I ain't trying to be rich. I'm trying to be great. Yep. You know. Yeah. Like I'm trying to be great, man. Have a dope body of work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I don't think I don't think being famous uh, is something that's recognizable to guys like us who who, who understand the work, right? Being seen and people knowing who you are means nothing if there's no work behind it. You're just a face, you know, uh, you're just a sculpture. Uh, a guy told me, an African guy told me years ago, that an empty barrel makes the loudest noise, you know, and I've always thrived on not being an empty barrel. Yeah. So um, I salute you and everything that you're doing. Um, I hope you continue to stay inspired. It seems like you found your... Oh, I'm on it. I'm on one. And I'm going to be on one for a, a long time. <laughs> I'm oh, so my guy. Oh, I'm so my guy. Man, I, can't, I can't wait to share some of this, some of this uh, business that I'm about to give uh, this world we live in, man. It's, uh, you know, it's really meaningful work to me. Uh, it's really uh, beautifully executed. I mean, it's based on something that I hold near and dear and that's real to me and experiences that I live that I wouldn't want other people to live and, um, and experiences that like, you know, that are possible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, man, I, I, I'm just going to keep grinding, bro. Yes, sir. Grinding. Yes, sir. So, I don't want to hold you, man. Did we reach the limit, man? What's the limit? I don't know. Almost uh, 10 o'clock. <laughs> okay. Almost 10 o'clock. Man, that went too fast, bro. That <laughs> went did. too fast. It did, but you know. Damn it, man. I, I mean, I think I think that's what happens when you get sucked in that vacuum and you just, It's you genuine know. conversation, though, and yeah. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, there's so much that we could actually keep going on, man. Uh, there's a, a documentary, uh, Stefan Marbury's. Have you seen it? No. A kid from Coney Island. Okay. You have to watch that. You haven't seen it, so I don't want to say nothing. Okay. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Wow. And into it, everything that we're, we're talking about right now, um, I just pray and hope that any kid or any person that sees this, man, whatever it is that you inspired, that you're inspired to do, I just hope that you reach out and just do it. Regardless of the circumstances that you come from, what you think may, may be impossible, just know that, man, anything in this world is possible if you put your mind to it and you put your grind to it. I'm telling you, that, well, that your document. Your mind, your grind, and your time. Yes, sir. Your, your time. Definitely your time. Because yeah. you, you got you to gotta throw it all out there. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, they say it's a sacrifice, but it's really you just, you just doing your work. You're doing your work and you're being focused. Uh, and I think that goes for, for me, you, or anybody. Especially the kids that are out there, man. You can do anything. Um, growing up, I never heard a lot. I never heard a lot of that. You know what I mean? Uh, it was most of you gonna do this or you're gonna do this or I got in trouble for stuff that I they they wanted me to do that I really wasn't a fan of. But uh, to anyone out there, man, anything that you want to do, you can do it. I promise you, you can. I 
promise you you can. I know people that came home from jail um, and they're carpenters. I know people that came home from jail and they, they work for architectural firms because they stayed in a book while they was locked up. I don't know if they still offer these programs anymore uh, for guys who are locked up, but uh, I know I know men who are older than me that was able to uh, accomplish these things and better their lives and raise their kids a lot better. They left Chicago and they're doing a lot better now. But uh, this yeah. documentary, man, I think everybody should check out. It's called A Kid from Coney Island. It's a, it's a story about Stefan Marbury. Um, his trials and tribulations, his life and everything. And I think it was, it was, it was something to pay attention to, especially the last 10 to 15 minutes of it. <laughs> he, he says at the end, he goes like, this is America. And he's having a conversation with this kid and I'm not going to go into it, but it's, it'll mess you up. It won't mess you up, but it just make you, it's like, wow. All right, Still. I'm here for it. I'm Still. here for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so earlier you, you spoke on the Nas album. I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, it's all, it's all right. I like the message. Okay. Um, but but I think that's all I like, you know. I, I mean, uh, I, you know, I, Illmatic, I mean, you know, when you, when you got, when you, when you have an album like Illmatic, it's, it's very difficult to follow that up and you know the last album the what was it called the lost tape or the last tape the nas album the one that came out that 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 one that came out last year that one was hard the one the song he did with al jero bro i was like i was like what is going on here like he he totally flipped the script and i was like i had a newfound respect for him you know and i was expecting some more uh like forward like avant-garde like pushing you know not like stereotypical nas you know and, and this was just it was stereotypical nas but the message was real good it was like su- super black you know and okay and i, and I appreciate it i appreciated it but, see it ultra black so yeah yeah for real for ultra real black, you know, so. yeah and i think I th- the, the time that we live in man you know i think people are more sensitive to the fact that, you know, the struggle uh, that black people deal with is, is, is not, it's not something, this is not ordinary, man. This is some extraordinary shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Extraordinary shit that we dealing with over here, you know? Yeah. And, and I tell people all the time, you sure you, th- you could walk a mile in my shoes? I give you half a block. <laughs> you have to block. You know, I give you, pick one of my pair of my shoes. I give you half the block. It's a lot to deal with. It ain't, it ain't what you think, you know. Like they look at the, they see the music and they see all the diamonds and shit like that. Yeah, try being that dude for 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 a week. Yeah, try being them for a week. See how you feel. Nah, that ain't my life. I'm good. Yeah, I want to be this dude. You know, I want to be this guy right yeah. here. <laughs> I like this guy. Yeah, I like this guy. The only thing that would change it is being more closer to family. That would that would be it. You know. Yeah. That would, yeah. That would be it. You know, having yeah. family around, uh, getting rid of this whack ass COVID nineteen situation that we're dealing with. You know. Yeah, that's that's uh that's one of those things though, man. That really really pushed me into being more productive. You know, I had all that time. 
And that's the West what I asked the universe for. When when the new year came, it's the only year that I asked for something different than I asked for every year of my life these last however many years I've been alive for New Year's. But I asked for more time this year and a fucking pandemic came, bro. And we got put on quarantine. Yeah. And I, and I I was productive as hell. I was banging out stuff. You know? I think that's the overall maybe the gist of it that I'm getting, even through this, you can still manage to be productive and find mm-hmm. out different things to do, different ways to uh, be progressive, uh, accomplishing uh, goals or setting goals. I, I think this was, this is still, regardless of what's going on, like I may not have been able to travel for work or do things like that, but I still found ways to be productive, whether it was me jumping back into music with my guys, uh, starting this podcast, uh, there's different things that I've been able to do. Working out, you know what I mean? Getting getting my body back in shape. Uh, learning a new way to shave, you know. I use a straight blade now. Oh, for real? Easy. Easy. Wow. Bro, I throw the gel on, take the blade, uh, uh, done. I don't even cut myself. Wow. I'm telling you, a buck fifty would be nasty if I decide to do that to somebody. <laughs> You're smiling from here to here, bro. <laughs> straight up. I can give you a nice joker piece under there, man. But uh, like, I, I, it's like a lot of a lot has changed, man. So, uh, and I'm I'm appreciative of it. It gave me time to also get a chance to jump back into my book reading. You know, uh, for those who don't know, I'm a, I'm a book reader. I'm very big on that. I'm big on trying to get into astrophysics and things like that. But mostly history and documents and laws that pertain to uh, black people and things like that. Um, slave coal, black coal, for those who don't know that that actually exists. It's a thing. They created these things in the 1600s. They did this. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, it's, 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 a ways, it's ways to be productive. There are ways to be, be productive. I think you just have to go after it. Like you said, we're not trying at this point. We're doing. We're working. And we, have, we must continue to work. We must make things happen in the process. So. Oh, you cut out on me! Oh, that, that, that's that's my that's my phone warning me that my uh, my power. Uh oh. Uh oh. But it's but it's all good. It's it's perfect timing, man. It's yep. perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect timing. So, yeah, at some point, man, I'm gonna have to get you in front of one of these paintings, man, and and have you tell me what you see, but. You know, yeah, the last one you showed me was uh, the monkeys, and it looked like they were at sea on a ship. Oh no, they was holding a they was holding a painting of a. They were holding a painting. Yeah, they was holding a painting of the sea. Mm. Yeah, but you it know, looked, it looked it looked it looked hopeless. <laughs> it hopeless. I, I can't wait! I can't wait for you to see it, man, and 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 tell me what you think. I got I got a ways to go, but I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get her done. I'm gonna get her done. Get her done. <laughs> get her done. You're done. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, man, I ain't gonna hold you no more, man. My brother, I appreciate you reaching out. Thank you. you. Connecting to me, man, on the Faux Profits podcast. Faux Profits. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate Faux you, man. Yeah, for sure, man. Hey, I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir, my brother. All right, peace. Yes, sir. Be safe. Thank you.